Thank you, Brian. Thank you for leading us today. Thank you for sharing your gifts with us and leading us to trust in the Lord. Uh, welcome. Uh, whether you're downstairs or upstairs, we're so glad that you're here or you're at home. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, this is the first day since March when this all began that we have crossed the 100 mark on campus today. So we have 71 upstairs and 30 downstairs. And so uh, as we try to be safe and people are starting to come back together, we are thankful uh, that more and more people are feeling comfortable to come back and for all the safety measures that are put in. And so we're glad that you all are here on this Father's Day. And I wanna just say, uh, if you're a father here in the room, would you please stand? Uh, just real quickly, I won't embarrass you and make you go around the room, but let's just say thank you, fathers, for being here today. Downstairs in the room, I hope you've stood up, and at home, you can stand up in your living room if you want. And uh, we're glad and thankful for you all. And uh, I, I echo Alan's uh, words earlier that we are grateful for the, for the wonderful godly men and fathers that God has given us here at Hebron Baptist Church. And uh, so we're glad to celebrate Father's Day, though a little bit different than we would normally do. Uh, we'd normally be uh, honoring fathers, uh, oldest, youngest, and, you know, all the grandchildren and so forth. And so, uh, but we are grateful for fathers, and, and we hope next year we'll be totally different. We'll be back to normal uh, as we celebrate these things. Well, we're going to continue in our series on through the book of Romans today. And uh, if you would, turn in your Bibles or on your devices to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Uh, we're going to actually read the whole chapter. I went back and forth on whether to do that, but we're going to today. And so um, we're going to walk through of how, it's, how it warns us against hypocrisy and how we talked last week, chapter 1, warned us about uh, living in sin, how we are all under the wrath of God, but that we must not kid ourselves if we point out the sin of others and not be concerned about our own sin. And that's Paul's message here today. And let me, let's begin reading. Uh, I will read and you can follow along wherever you are, whatever copy of God's word or whatever you're following along with. Uh, Romans chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things. We know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on truth. Do you really think any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you can escape God's judgment? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. He will repay each one according to his works. Eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. There will be an affliction and distress to every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does what is good, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, for there is no favoritism with God. All who sin without the law will also perish without the law. And all who, are under, who, who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For the hearers of the law 
are not righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So when Gentiles, who do not by nature have the law, do what the law demands, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them on the day when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Christ Jesus. Now, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are superior, being instructed from the law, and if you are convinced that you are a God for the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the embodiment of knowledge and the truth in the law, you then, who teach another, don't you teach yourself? You who preach, you must not steal. Do you steal? You who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob their temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision benefits you if you observe the law. But if you're a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. And if your uncircumcised man keeps the law requirements... Will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? A man who is physically uncircumcised, but who keeps the law, will judge you who are a lawbreaker in spite of having the letter of the law and circumcision. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision of the heart by the spirit not the letter that person's praise is not from people but from God let us pray Heavenly Father we pray as we read these words together that the first prayer that we pray and that we lift to you is God how might you change me God how might you speak to me pray this morning even to me as I preach that Lord what are you revealing of my own heart and that Lord this morning as we think through this item of hypocrisy together that Lord that we would find ourselves falling and following you and not following our self-centered hearts we ask this in Jesus name amen Well, I know from experience, being a father of two, soon to be three, that if you are ever near water with children, you just might as well expect to get wet. It's just going to happen, whether it's a water pistol or a cup of water or some splash, you are going to get wet. And I'm going to tell you, I believe that the CIA might need to change their tactics uh, and, and use cold baby pool water as the the choice of form to uh, enable or push people to the brink of confession because uh, I just the other week we we started the pool water and we got in there and and of course we didn't have time to let it warm up and uh, so uh, of course being a dad I've got to you know I've got to kind of 
soldier up and try to get in. I didn't really want to at first, but all of a sudden, boom, I got splashed. Oh, gosh, it's like this, it's almost like searing pain, and you don't really know what to do. And I may have screamed like a girl, but I'm not uh, sure. But I know that it was painful. It was that that dousing of cold water truly wakes you up and truly uh, gets you alert. Maybe if I'm reading through Romans, and I'm reading through, and I get to chapter 2, maybe that's what chapter 2 sort of feels like. It's like getting doused with cold water and alerted. Because if you're reading Romans chapter 1, and you're reading what Paul says, that, you know, the immoral uh, is destined for wrath. We've all fallen away from God's standard. We've rejected God, and we're gone farther away from him. We're like, amen, amen, Paul, amen. We're, we're there with you, Paul. We, we agree with you, Paul. And then we get to chapter 2. And then he says in verse chapter 2, it begins, Therefore, every one of you judges without an excuse. So, whoa, 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 Paul. Whoa, whoa, I was with you till chapter 2. I was with you to chapter 2. When Paul wrote the book of Romans, we know he was speaking to the church at Rome. And in the church at Rome, there was, yes, as we would expect, the Roman world, the Roman Christians, but also there was many Jewish Christians who lived in Rome that made up this church. And Paul said, I want to make sure that you all understand that there is none of us that is above being saved by faith in Christ. That all of us, even if we think we have some special understanding of the law, as the Jews would have, or maybe to a 21st Christian, 21st century audience, even though that maybe you've been raised around Christian people, you know the Christian lingo, you understand your family to be Christian, look, there is none of us that are outside the need for faith and salvation in Jesus Christ. And we can't put ourselves in a place of hypocrisy that we put and look down on others and yet sin and do the same thing we're judging others to do. Paul is saying, we would say, Paul, are you saying that even religious people, those who are relying on spiritual disciplines and generosity and worship tendence, Paul's saying, actually, yeah, because none of those things save you. It is only the work of Jesus Christ. The reality is we all need Christ, and we should never have an attitude of where that we might be more safe or, or safe away from God's judgment than anyone else. The reality is, but by the grace of God go I. But by the grace of God coming to me, I would be just as sinful, just as bad, just as, as, uh, as sinful as anyone else. And actually the reality is, we are still sinful, and we still need grace. So as we read chapter 2, I want us to observe five truths about hypocrisy that we might guard our hearts and our lives. If you're taking notes, number one is this. Hypocrisy is judging others for doing the same thing you do. Verse 1 through 5 encapsulates this idea very clearly for us as Paul helps us to say and warns us right off the bat. Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse, for when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same thing. 
Here we see this common warning in the scripture to do not judge others. Now, many people misrepresent or maybe misunderstand this command. Certainly, this is something that happens a lot in the scriptures. Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, do not judge. And people believe or think that we should never look down or point out the evil in the character of someone. Well, is Jesus really saying never point out evil or never point out wrongness? Well, no, because we take the whole teaching of the Scripture. If Jesus said that, would he be contradicting himself later in Matthew 18 when he says, if a brother sins against you, go and take him to the church even if he doesn't repent. Well, here we come to chapter 2, and Paul is saying the same thing. He's saying, uh, is, is he saying, never look on the sin of others as God has judged uh, uh, and said that is wrong? Well, no. Would Paul be then going against, literally, the verse right before, the last sentence? Although they knew God's just sentence, those who practice such things deserve to die. Not only them, but those who applaud those who practice them. So, did Paul forget what he just wrote? Did Paul misunderstand or did he go against himself? No. You see, God's word is perfect. And the way that we understand God's word is not by putting ourselves into one verse, but taking the verse and understanding it through the whole of scripture and what what Paul is saying here <clears throat> is when you judge or pass judgment that it shouldn't be with the attitude that says you are lost and I'm glad now because it makes me feel better about myself or that others you are being judged and that's good because I am not you see I'm putting the judgment on somebody else with the failure of accounting for my own sin or feeling better about myself because of someone else's mistakes. You see, it's funny because many Christians will say, will say all sorts of excuses for our sin. We'll say, I'm tired, I slipped. But then when it comes to someone else's sin, sometimes we condemn others and act as though they have no hope. John Stott observed of this passage, he said, we work ourselves up into a state of self-righteous indignation over the disgraceful behavior of other people, while the very same behavior seem not nearly so serious when it's ours rather than theirs. And this is what Paul is speaking to. He's saying you're judging for someone else doing the same thing that you do. And in verse Three, Paul says, do you really think any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? Well, the best way to understand this is an idea that uh, the 20th century uh, be a believer and philosopher Francis Shaver said, it's almost the invisible tape uh, recorder. Maybe we, today we would, instead of a tape recorder, we would say our our digital assistant on our phone or uh, Alexa. If our phones or Alexa are listening to us and tape recording us, which they are, <laughs> and at one day in the judgment seat that we would 
that God would play that recorder and say, okay, I'll be fair. Let's play the recordings and everything that you have judged others by will just make it fair. Whatever you have judged others will judge yourself. Now, how many of us would say we would pass that test? None of us. And that's Paul's point. Paul is saying that none of us will escape God's judgment. And so we need to be cautious of how we look down on others and that we have this attitude that I am better than you. In what ways are you looking down on others that maybe in the same way you are committing the same sin? Secondly, hypocrisy is assuming you are the favorite. Verse 6 through 11 changes his, uh, changes thoughts just a little bit to help us understand even more about hypocrisy. He begins this in verse 6. <clears throat> will He will repay each one according to his works. Now, <clears throat> Psalm, uh, excuse me, Paul is quoting Psalm 62. And here it is a Psalm of David, and David's talking about those who will reject God uh, who, who love God but then reject the things of God. And David's point, and now Paul's point, is that you are judged according to your works. Now, of course, if you're reading Romans through and you're reading here and you stop here and you say, whoa, 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 Paul, did you, didn't you just say over in chapter 1, verse 17, uh, that... <clears throat> For in it, righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith that the righteousness, the righteous will live by faith. Are you saying, Paul, now that you have forgotten what you read almost a chapter or wrote a chapter before, are you <clears throat> misquoting yourself or are you um, going against yourself? No, Paul is not going against himself. See, there is always a connection between our faith in our work. Someone who is saved by faith, what did even Paul say in verse 17? That the, from faith to faith, that we live by faith, that we are righteous, that we are saved by faith, that we are, uh, that we are made clean by faith, but then by faith we agree with God and we live his standard and we walk by faith. And the, therefore, faith of Faith in grace or uh, saved by faith and saved through our works, are, they are two sides of the same coin. Not saved by works, but in other words, as Martin Luther put it, we are saved by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. Maybe this is a good way to work at it. look at it. You look at an apple tree, and you see the apples growing on an apple tree. Well, what is this? The apples communicate that there's life in that apple tree. Uh, you don't see apples growing on a dead tree. You see apples growing on a live, healthy apple tree. But is the apples life? Do they provide the life to the tree? No, it's the opposite, right? It's the roots that are drawing nutrients from the ground that come up through the tree itself that provide life to the fruits. So in the same way, a life of righteousness for us proves that God has given us 
righteousness in our heart, that by faith we have been saved. So understanding this truth, we cannot be hypocritical and assume that somehow, if we are showing deeds of faith, that we are showing some righteousness, that we are somehow favorites of God, that we deserve some bit of closeness to God. Sometimes we can be lulled into believing that we can do good things and that these good things is what draws us to God. But that's not what the Bible says. It is by faith we are saved. That reminder to us that even in our good works, we're still not perfect. Jesus helps us to understand this very well. When he preached in Matthew chapter 5, he says this in verse 21. You have heard what it was said by our ancestors. Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. Now, this is a pretty high standard that Jesus set. It's not just that you kill someone and the very breath dies out of them, but the very attitude and insult that you give is just as sinful. And that we might not say that we are a convicted murderer, but we surely are a convicted hothead from time to time. And we need to be reminded that none of us have favoritism towards God. This really kind of comes alive really right now in what we've seen in the world with racism and what's going on. We, someone may not have killed someone, but surely the attitude that someone is greater or more superior is just as evil. God hates it. So judgment for us, we need to be reminded, is impartial. What matters is not what we do with our life and how our fruits expose themselves. It's not that we go to church or, or that, we are, uh, that we have a cultural background in Christianity or my grandmother was a Christian. Our attitude is, is that instead we must have relationship with God or it doesn't matter because God's judgment is impartial. Whether we know Christianity or reject Christianity, we're all under the same standard. So are you relying on some favoritism status? Do you look at others and think, well, those people act that way, but I certainly don't, so I must be closer to the Lord. Well, friends, hypocrisy is assuming that we are favorites. Thirdly, hypocrisy is thinking, I can make my own standard. In verse 12 through 16, it says, All who sin without the law will also perish without the law, and all who, are, who sin under the law will be judged by the law. Well, Paul goes even further to say, look, this is impartiality is true. So the, the question becomes, how are we making the standard for our life? Is it following God in his standard, 
or rejecting God and making our own standard. This is basically the idea that Paul is saying. That he is saying that those who are without the law, and the law would be a description of the the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Old Testament where God puts out his holy laws or regulations for a holy people to live with a holy God. Well, he said, so well, if you know the law and you keep the law, guess what? You're still guilty because you can't uphold the law. But if you reject the law and, and don't follow the law, well, you're still not safe because God has imprinted himself on all of humanity to know that what is right and wrong. I mean, surely we have watched a video of someone hurting another person or cringing because we innately know and we watch this video as, as, uh, as the life seeps out of someone or that someone is being hurt. We reject that because we know all of humans are made in the uh, image of God, imago, uh, imago Dei. We know that's not right. So we can't have an excuse by saying, well, I'm going to set my own standard. I'm going to reject God. I'm not going to do what he says. I'm going to make up my own standard. I'm going to live the way that I want to live. And on the other hand, we also can't create a new standard by saying, I'm just going to keep the law to the letter. I'm going to keep every dot and tittle and think that we're going to make it through. Because the reality is that none of us can keep the law perfectly. Leviticus 18.5 reminds us, keep my statutes and ordinances. A, a person will live if he does then. I am the Lord, it says. But the reality is, none of us are perfect. And he goes on to say that, so when Gentiles who do not by nature have the law do what the law says, they, they show the work of the law is written on their heart. Their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them. And on that day when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Jesus Christ. In verse 16 when he says, according to my gospel, God will judge this even in secret. What is he saying? He's saying that even the things that we think in secret, God will judge. According to my gospel, he's not saying Paul's made a new gospel or he's formulated a new gospel. He's saying, this is what saved me. I was the one who carried the letter of the law. I believe the only way to follow God was to uphold the commands of Scripture. I killed Christians because they said this Jesus was alive. And yet the gospel came to me. And I learned about Jesus. And I learned that even in my goodness, I need Jesus. So thankfully for us, but a warning to us, that we can't create our own standard to be saved. Do you follow God's law or God's rule and hope that your good works will squeak you past the finish line one day? If you're a Christian and someone says, well, are you a Christian? And you say, well, I'm trying. Well, you don't really understand the gospel because we don't try to be a Christian. We either are or we aren't. We either have believed in faith and been born again or we're not. We must understand that, that it is even if we try to make our own standard, 
we still stand before a judge that judges everything we do. Our judgment is not against how much better we are than our neighbor or the family member who seems like they have it all together. Our standard is a holy God. And the reality is none of us can live up to that standard. And therefore, we're all under judgment. And therefore, we all need Jesus. And number four, hypocrisy is being, <clears throat> excuse me, is being religious without being moral. Hypocrisy is being religious without being moral. Verse 17 through 24, Paul really turns his sights on the Jews there. He really starts to say, hey, you think that you've been doing this religious work, but you haven't cared about your personal life. Look at these words that he uses in verse 17. You rely on the law. Having pride in your relationship with Moses, bringing your relationship to God. In verse 18, you know his will and are superior and have been instructed in the law. Verse 19, you are convinced that you are an instructor to the blind, that you have actually believed that you have the right way to teach others. And then here it comes, that water pistol filled with cold water. Verse 21, don't you then teach yourself? If all of this is true, don't you teach yourself? What Paul is saying here is that you say that you know and you do and you pray and you go to worship and you you've maybe have gone to the best Sunday school teacher that, that you have to offer. You have maybe read the Bible three or four times through. But the question he says, have you taught yourself? Have you looked at yourself, how you are faithful to the scriptures? And this attitude, I'm afraid, is prevalent in the church of America today. That this, uh, this idea that I just want to come to get a religiosity that makes me feel comfortable, that makes me feel good about myself, that I can kind of sprinkle Jesus on everything that I do and then hope that everything works out in the end, that I can do even religious things, pray and go to church every once in a while and make sure that everything fits neatly and that I look like a Christian but then God would say, well, how's your heart? If you're doing these things and you're reading the Bible, have you applied them to your hearts? This, how many times have you said, oh, this scripture or this sermon right now, or maybe another one, is for somebody else and not for me? Well, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's a British pastor who I highly respect, said, as you read the Bible day by day, do you apply the truth to yourself? What is your motive when you read the Bible? Is it just to have knowledge of it so that you can show others how much you know and argue with them, or are you applying it to yourselves? As you read, say to yourself, this is me. What is it saying about me? Allow the scripture to search you. Otherwise, it can be dangerous. There is a sense in which the more you know of the Bible, the more dangerous it is to you if you do not apply it to yourself. See, is your relationship with God about keeping the rhythms of a religious relationship but not desiring to be more personally holy or more loving with God? Is this a relationship more about the appearance of goodness than it is about being connected to holy God? 
You see, we can't be both just uh, going through the motions without asking God to change our lives, which lead us to number five. Hypocrisy is overcome by admitting you need a new heart. Now, this last section, Paul uses the illustration of circumcision. It was instituted with Abraham to reveal the faithfulness of God by that generation, that they would be circumcised saying that God has promised or covenanted with Abraham and his descendants to give all the blessings to them. And this circumcision is a sign to say, I covenant with God to follow him. Well, over time, it just became a religious symbol. It became detached from saving faith. Paul argues that it doesn't matter what is on the outside. If you just are faithful to this tradition of circumcision, if you are just faithful on the outside, yet you don't live internally trusting God. Verse 28 through 29, Paul argues, For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and a true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision of the heart, by the Spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. Paul is saying here and arguing that there must not be a circumcision of the flesh, but not of the heart. Huh? I mean, I, 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 mean, I, I'm a, I have a doctorate, but I'm not an MD. But I understand that somebody shouldn't be going cutting on people's hearts. What does this mean? Paul is saying that it is truly a saved heart. One that is committed and covenant to God, that is the true mark of salvation. This is good news because we know that God has moved all of history to redeem his people, all of humanity who are lost in their sin by sending Jesus Christ, his son, who did live a perfect life, who, who did honoring God, who died on the cross and three days later rose again. And that the gospel is by faith you have been saved. The good news for us is those who have been saved by faith, that we are inhabited by the Holy Spirit that gives us, yes, faith, but also new life. It is what the prophet Ezekiel wrote when God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. You receive the Holy Spirit that then changes of your life come not because you want to please God to earn his salvation, but instead, you have been saved by grace, and there is nothing more that you want to do than to please God in how you live. The good news is that by the power of the Spirit of God, you can turn, that you can live life for God, that you will want to follow Him because you are overwhelmed of the salvation, that you will want to live for His glory. What an amazing gift we have. So we 
understand that hypocrisy helps us is overcome by this new life and new heart in Christ. That we can't stand in judgment over someone else unless we've dealt with our own sins. We cannot stand in judgment over someone else and think, oh, look at that poor soul. We should yet instead have this attitude, oh, but the grace of God, I would be in the same situation. That we have more patience and respect for those who are without Christ, that we have more prayer for them, for more patience for them to come along because we were in the same place at one point before God radically changed us. Does that mean that we don't call evil evil, that we don't point out the things that God says is holy? Of course not. But we understand that we are no better than anyone else. So are you judging others? thinking that you are in better standing without grace, brothers and sisters, we would all be doomed. We need to be reminded that it's in faith in Christ that saved us and that we now, because of grace, follow Christ to produce much fruit that brings glory to him. Secondly, we must ask, are we relying on some past religious event? Baptism or praying or getting to church once a month Yet, everything else about the rest of our lives have not shown a characterization of faith in Christ. Well, maybe you need to think and ask, maybe I truly have never been saved. Maybe I truly did not put my faith in Christ. Maybe I have not truly been born again. Or maybe you're trying to live a decent American life where you volunteer, you don't swear too much, you give generously, you don't cheat, yet you have nothing to do with Christ. Brother and sister, I encourage you, hear what God, what Paul, God is saying through Paul, what God says through the Bible, that it is not by our works, but by faith we are saved. You need Jesus, and you can't Follow the largest secular cult that is going on today. That if I just do good enough, I will make it to heaven somehow. You must have faith in Christ. And that is the only way that we are saved. We must battle hypocrisy in our lives, in our churches, and in our world. And it's done by asking and holding on to faith in Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful this morning uh, that we can come to you in faith and know that forgiveness is available through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray, God, that we are guarding our hearts, that we are not hypocritical, that we are not looking down on others, that we guard our hearts by comparing apples on our own apple tree to the person next door or to the one down the street that we are understanding that it is only by grace that we are saved. And I pray that if someone is struggling to know about their life, that they turn to Christ, that they would know that by faith we are saved and that the works will come as a result. Turn to Christ, we pray. Turn to Christ. We're thankful for this message. In Jesus' name, amen.